WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to another segment of the Marian Hour. I'm Father Dwight Campbell, and um, <coughs> I'm going to begin our, our Marian Hour with a prayer today. Uh, my, I like to call it my favorite prayer to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Memorare. So if you would join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and, and of the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, Remember the most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my Mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Our, pardon me, uh, St. Angela Marisi, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll just say that with me today are, are Angela and Annie, two guests, and <laughs> hopefully they'll ask some good questions and um, make it a little more interesting. I'd, I'd first like to mention the saint of the day, St. Angela Marisi. She was born in 1450, and uh, her parents had died when she was just uh, a young girl about 10 years old. She was taken in by an uncle, and she made a, a commitment to Christ to, to be his bride. Uh, she was very pretty, but she tried to appear rather, uh, well, not as pretty, rather homely in front of men, because she had given her heart to our Lord, Jesus Christ, her spouse, uh, the bridegroom. She was the bride, and uh, well, she she ended up um, becoming a a third order or, uh, <coughs> um, Franciscan tertiary. She wore a hair shirt. She um, led a great a life of of great mortification, self denial, asceticism. And then the Holy Spirit, God revealed to her, he wanted her to found a religious congregation. <coughs> and she uh, s began this congregation under the patronage of another saint, Saint Ursula. And the congregation, the order is known today as the Ursulines. I'm proud to say that my great aunt, my father's aunt, uh, Sister Clotilde O'Reilly, who passed away, well, I think it's about um, maybe 28 years ago. Uh, she was in Ursuline in Decatur, Illinois, and I had her funeral mass, <coughs> and I think half the city of Decatur showed up <laughs> because uh, she taught at St. Teresa's Academy in Decatur, 
uh, for about 50 years, and and I think almost every Catholic in Decatur had her <laughs> for class. Uh, she <coughs> she was really had a great mind. She uh, went away every summer to earn degrees in math and science, different things. She she could have gotten a doctorate, but she just never had time to, to get away and write a dissertation. Uh, but I had all these people come up to me and say, "Oh, you're 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 a great aunt. Uh, you know, I remember her so well." And I remember one of the stories she told. This shows how different things were back in the in the 30s uh, during the Depression. They they gathered newspapers to sell them to get money for chalk. Wow! Because they they needed to write on the on the blackboards. And um, they just didn't have money for this, so they, they sold newspapers for chalk. <laughs> uh, people complain about today, you know, they, they don't get enough handouts from the government. Well, um, things were much different back then, but uh, she was a good and faithful servant. And uh, even when her, her mind started going in her later years, uh, she'd come and visit. You know, she, she couldn't remember things, you know, maybe a day or two ago, but um, her great nieces and nephews would come up to her with their math problems, <laughs> and she would just, she'd go through it and say, oh, here it is, you know, she, she'd remember um, the math, the science, this was so ingrained in her, and uh, anyway, <coughs> back to uh, Angela Marisa, so she, she founded this religious congregation, which was the first women's congregation not to be enclosed, meaning, you know, cloistered or whatever, they they taught girls. That was their mission, to instruct girls and fashion them into young ladies, okay? Um, just a general education as well as the faith. And um, I think they, they changed over the years. I know St. Teresa's Academy in Decatur is a co-ed school now, but it, for many years it was just uh, a girls' school. And um, the Ursulines are still around. And, you know, the last time I was here, if you remember, I Angela, do. I spoke about the Ursulines. Do you I remember do. what that was? Yes, Our Lady of Prompt Succor. Right, right. Yes, During the War that. of 1812, mm -hmm. the Ursulines were in New Orleans. And, um, you know, they, they, they prayed to Our Lady for a great fire to avert it. It burned down many parts of New Orleans. And then uh, during the, the War of 1812, the Ursulines were praying to Our Lady uh, under the title Our Lady of Prompt Succor to win a battle. And the, the Americans under General uh, Jackson um, won that battle kind of miraculously. The fog set in and the, the, the British were, were uh, defeated soundly. I think, what did I, I think, the Americans lost like seven men in this battle. It was just uh, a miraculous thing. And uh, Michael Medved talks about this in his book, The American Miracle. I could recommend that book. It's a wonderful book about all the, the you could say, miraculous things that happened. You know, he goes back to the, the time of the, the first pilgrims and all these things took place. It was God's providence that that you know America be founded uh, that was his point of the book and he, but he relates all these beautiful stories the pilgrims George Washington uh, really? the the uh, War of 1812 the Revol Revolutionary War he relates facts 
uh, throughout the nation's history. Uh, very good read, and you can get it on. It's it, he, he reads it too. Uh, Michael Medved, you can get the book. Who's uh, the author? Michael Medved. Mm. He was he used to be on the show with um, Roger Ebert. You know, movie oh, movie review, Siskel yeah. and Ebert. He took over, and then he had his own radio show for a while. I don't know if he's still on because I I used to listen to him occasionally, but he he wrote uh, a book, The American Miracle, which you can get uh, on on audio, which he narrates. He does does a beautiful job, and he tells the story. I. In, in a very dramatic way about how the um, the Ursulines prayed um, and uh, our Lord granted this victory and, and General Jackson actually uh, uh, Andrew Jackson uh, he, he came and, and thanked the, the sisters the Ursulines for, for praying for a victory which did come and wow. um, so <coughs> Anyway, I just heard General Jackson is being taken off of the, he's on the $20 bill, I think, isn't he? They're trying to, yeah. Uh, yes, they want to put some, I don't know, some other person on there who is, uh, you know, a slave or helped slavery, whatever. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll reserve my comment on that. This is a Catholic show, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll not express my opinion on that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to talk today about an upcoming feast. It next Tuesday and the feast next Tuesday for those who know the liturgical calendar um, next Tuesday marks a date in relation to Christmas mm -hmm. how many days after Christmas is next Tuesday 40 that's it 40 days Angela oh, you always get it right Angela I don't know what it is <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's must be my Saint Angela Marici that's coaching okay. me. Okay, were you named after Saint Saint Angela Marici? I was, I was named after the angels because I was born on October first, okay. which is the eve of the angels. But I love Saint Angela. Okay. We might even start a WSFI Academy, Father. What do wow. you think in her honor? Well, that's that would be nice. Yeah, and you could be our teacher. <coughs> okay. All right. Okay, back to the real world here. So, forty days after our Lord's birth. Um, and it's I and in a more traditional sense it's the end of the Christmas season then <coughs> marks the end of the Christmas season formally um, is the presentation of our Lord in the temple also the purification of Mary in the temple also candle mass day now I'll just go through the um, reasons for the naming of this feast okay um, we can go back to the fourth century Jerusalem St. Cyril of Jerusalem there are accounts of, of how he held this feast <coughs> of the presentation of our Lord because um, as the scriptures tell us 40 days after Christ's birth Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem and this was according to the law of Moses that 40 days after birth the firstborn son would be presented and <coughs> uh, it's also the purification of Our Lady 
again the law of Moses a mother who gave birth to a son was considered legally unclean according to the Jewish law for 40 days and then she had to go through this rite of purification if it was a boy if it was a girl it was 80 days I'm not sure why it was longer for the girls but um, with the boys it was 40 days she was unclean and on the 40th day she went to the temple and the priest sprinkled her with water said special prayers for her and offered two sacrifices, a turtle dove and a young lamb. Now, uh, that was with most couples, but we know that the Blessed Virgin Mary with Joseph, she didn't offer a young lamb with a turtle dove. What did she offer? Do you remember? Two. Two, two, two turtle doves. And you know that why that was? Four. They were poor, yes, they couldn't afford yeah, a lamb, right. so they, they, they offered two turtle doves and and um, because they were poor, so <coughs> uh, we know that this was done. However, <coughs> we also know and believe that Mary did not have to undergo properly this ritual uh, to render her clean because she was not unclean. She conceived Jesus as a virgin. She gave birth to him as a virgin. And she's a virgin ever afterwards. She is the mother of God. She conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But um, even though she, she doesn't have to go through this ritual of purification, she submits herself to it as, you know, the commentators say, uh, out of obedience and humility. Okay. And at this time, the presentation of the... Uh, well, let, let me just go back f for a moment here. Um, um, well, no, I'll talk about the presentation, too. Okay. Uh, the, the presentation, the other aspect, uh, we, we call in the new calendar, if you look on the new calendar, the Vatican II... Novus Ordo. It's called the Feast of the Presentation. In the Tridentine, the 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 uh, traditional form, it's uh, it it the title usually is the the Purification of Mary. It is the same feast, and uh, with the presentation, Israel's firstborn sons were originally to to constitute the Jewish priesthood. Okay. And in memory of the firstborn sons being spared from the angel of death during the, uh, the tenth plague, remember back in, just to go back to, to, to tell the, the background history of this, okay? Moses is chosen to lead the people out of, out of Egypt the chosen people. They're, they've been slaves for over 400 years, as was prophesied to Abraham. And if you remember, when Moses was born, he is the only boy that's saved. Because the Pharaoh orders all the firstborn sons, all these, all these sons born to the Israelites to be killed the slaughter of the innocents. Um, 
and Moses is the only one spared. And how is he spared? Do you, do you remember? In a basket. In a basket. Down the river. In the Nile River. And who discovers him? The princess? Yes, yeah, the Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah. Yes. And she takes him, she raises him, Moses grows up. He sees an Egyptian brutally beating an Israelite. He kills the Egyptian. He takes off, goes out into the desert of Midian. He's taken in, and uh, when he's 80 years old, our Lord appears to him in a burning bush and says, you go and lead my people out of Egypt. Go to Pharaoh. So he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh will not let the people go. God sends 10 plagues. He sends 10 because the first nine don't work. Okay. <laughs> the Pharaoh won't let the people go. Remember, there's locusts, there's darkness, there's water turned to blood, there's all these things that happen. Pharaoh still will not let the people go. And whenever I think of, of Moses and Pharaoh, I think of Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments, and who plays, uh, who plays Moses, do you know? Uh, do you remember? John yeah, Heston. Charlton Heston, <laughs> yes. And who plays the Pharaoh? Do you remember? Oh, the bald one. Will Brenner. Brenner. Yes, yeah. Will oh, Brenner. So yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I just have in my mind ingrained yeah. Will Brenner, the Pharaoh, and Charlton Heston is Moses. Okay, so and Edward G. Robinson played in it too. He led the rebellion out in the desert. Oh, anyway, right, yeah. so um, so with the tenth and final plague, the the uh, the Pharaoh allows the people the Israelites to leave Egypt. And what is the tenth plague? The angel of death goes through Egypt, striking down the firstborn sons, and uh, the firstborn of all animals as well, but the firstborn sons of, of, of everyone in Egypt. However, the Israelites will be spared their firstborn sons if they do something. They have to kill a lamb, a male lamb, a year old, sprinkle its blood on the doorposts, and eat its roasted flesh. The Passover lamb being a type, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the true lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. Okay, we're, I, I guess it's time for a break already. Time passes when you're having fun. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Father Robert McDermott. I'm from St. Rock Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Catholic Radio is important to keep Catholics informed about Catholic events. We know in the mainstream media there's many times that Catholic stories are distorted and so Catholic Radio is important to present the truth with clarity and fairness. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. 
That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, the second part of our Marian Hour today. Um, this feast day of um, St. Angela Marisi, and we are talking today about the upcoming feast next Tuesday, which traditionally marks the, the formal end of the Christmas season, 40 days after the birth of Christ, is the presentation of Jesus in the temple, also Mary's Purification, and also Candle Mass Day. I was giving the history of um, the presentation of Jesus uh, that the Israelite firstborn sons were, were, were to constitute uh, the, the priesthood. Okay. And the Law of Moses required, this is uh, found in the book of Leviticus, that um, uh, the firstborn sons had to be redeemed. Why? Because the firstborn sons belonged to God. They were spared during the 10th plague when the angel of death went throughout Egypt and struck down the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians, not the Israelites, because they followed the, the command of God to kill a male lamb, unblemished, sprinkle its blood on the doorposts, and then eat its roasted flesh. That male lamb being, I think, the real link between the Old and New Testaments, the Old and New Covenants, because the male lamb was, was a type of Christ. And find its fulfillment finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Remember, we just saw in the Gospels a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, uh, John the Baptist points out Jesus the first time he appears publicly at the Jordan River. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that Lamb, uh, the Lamb who went to the slaughter, as Isaiah says, the suffering servant. Anyway, <coughs> the Israelites, according to the law of Moses, had to be, the firstborn sons had to be redeemed. Now, um, actually, we see this in the book of Numbers, chapter 8, verse 16, that by a subsequent decree of God, the tribe of Levi, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, okay, um, the tribe of Levi were 
the priests, the males, okay, who were born to the tribe of Levi, not the firstborn of the of all the Israelites. Okay, so the priesthood isn't the firstborn sons anymore after Moses comes down the mountain and and <coughs> the the uh, sons of Levi, the the descendants of Levi, the males are are the priests. Okay, but however. You still had uh, the firstborn sons of the of the Israelites having the obligation to be presented in the temple. Okay, so this is what Jesus is going through. He's he's the firstborn, as Saint Matthew tells us. Now, I'll just say something about that too, because um, firstborn. Some Protestants say, oh, well, he was the firstborn. This means Mary had other children. No, the firstborn <laughs> means that's the name you gave to, to the firstborn son, whether there were other sons or not. It doesn't imply in any way that Mary had other children, okay? So uh, Jesus being the firstborn, the firstborn, because he is, he is the Messiah as well, um, well, he is presented in the temple, although um, he he does not have to go through this <laughs> this uh, ritual uh, because he's equal to the Father and he's not bound by the law, but he submits to it like Mary does with her purification out of obedience and humility. Okay, and the the parents would pay five shekels to the temple treasury and and then get their son redeemed. That's how they would redeem him, buy him back. He belonged to, to God, the, and he, they would buy them back, so to speak, from God with five shekels, and uh, Mary and Joseph would have done this. Now, going to the feast, which we see, I, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned it's, we, we see evidence of this dating back to the fourth century. Uh, the Feast of the Presentation, the Purification of Mary, Presentation of Jesus, also called Candlemas Day. And why is this? Well, with St. Cyril of Jerusalem, we see accounts of celebrating the 40th day after the birth of Jesus, the Presentation of Jesus, the Purification of Mary, with the lighting of candles by the people who are at the liturgy. They light candles. Why? Can you guess why they come in the church with lit candles? Uh, they have to have the light. I mean, bringing in the light. Bringing in the light. You got it. Annie, thank you. Okay. You're on the right track there. Okay. Um, well, when Jesus is brought into the, the temple of our Lord, he makes his first appearance in the temple at the presentation. 40 days after his birth. Mary and Jesus bring him to the temple. And actually this was prophesied by the prophet Malachi, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that the Messiah would, would enter the temple. I'll, I'll open to Malachi and I'll read that. He's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. This isn't, uh, um, this isn't Saint Malachi, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the Irish saint, this is the prophet Malachi from the Old Testament, okay, who, who um, lived about the f uh, 5th century B.C. And uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1, 
Here's what the prophet Malachi says. Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way for me. Suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. Well, who is this that is coming to the temple? The Lord, the Lord whom you seek. This is Jesus. So we see the fulfillment of this prophecy of the prophet Malachi, or Malachi, you could pronounce it both ways, with, with Jesus coming to the temple. And he is, Jesus is the light that has come into the world. St. John tells us this. So, so the Messiah, the long-awaited one who fulfills this prophecy, he enters the temple for the first time. He's the light of the world who comes to enlighten everyone. We're going to get to this in a minute about not just the Jews, the people of Israel, but all peoples of all nations. So because he is the light that has come into the world, just as we light the Paschal candle at the Easter vigil, and then everyone lights their candles from that, okay, and what is sung at the Easter vigil? The light of Christ. That's mm. what the priest chants three times coming in. So also, and the feast of the presentation, um, it's been a custom since the fourth century in Jerusalem to, for the people to come into the church with lit candles representing that Christ, the light of the world, entered the temple on this day. And this celebrates know the end of the Christmas season so um, now so that is father so that is officially the end of the Christmas season yes in, the, in the, a more the traditional way yeah, yeah instead of you know we we're into the ordinary time now but in the in the you know just it's an old tradition that that you know the Christmas season formally ends 40 days after the birth of of Christ okay and um, and comes to an end with the presentation of Jesus in the temple, Mary's purification, and Candle Mass Day, and it's it's tradition. It's a tradition also, and and I will do this. I've ordered my candles for the coming year to bless the candles. So I bless um, the candles that the people use. I've told I'm we're telling people this weekend to either bring your own candles to Mass on Candle Mass Day. We'll have some also that you can make a donation for that we will bless that people can take to, to their homes. And it's a beautiful practice to keep blessed candles in the house for um, example, when you know there's a tornado or bad weather and you know a plague or something, you light a candle. Dark days. Yes, uh, light Father, a candle. you know who beautiful candles is Holy Family Catholic Bookstore, right in your area? Holy Fa Family Catholic Bookstore, yes. I uh, buy their candles. On, on Old Green Bay Road, they have beautiful candles. And um, the beeswax, we got the 100% beeswax and the 51% beeswax. Okay, yeah. very good. Are they your parishioners? They are our parishioners, Wes and Ann Riccio, yes. Shout out to them. So if everyone goes there and buys candles, there'll be a big rush up there. <laughs> they will probably run out, yes. They will run out, okay. <laughs> okay, well, um, back to um, Candlemas Day. Well, okay, so this is the reason why it's called Candlemas Day, dating back to the 4th century Jerusalem. And... Um, 
I just want to comment on, on what St. Luke says, though. St. Luke, in his, um, in his Gospel, chapter 2, verse 22, he speaks of their purification. Here's what he says. When the day came to purify them according to the law of Moses, and then in verse chapter 2, verse 39, when the pair, meaning both, had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, okay? But, um, so we see them, who is to whom does this refer? Some have said, oh, Mary and Joseph. No, Joseph didn't have to undergo purification. Uh, but this is the way St. Luke is telling us that, that this foreshadows, uh, this is a reference to Mary and Jesus, okay? Foreshadows the co-offering of and co-suffering of the Blessed Virgin Mary with Jesus on Calvary, which is revealed mm -hmm. if we keep, if we continue to read the account of St. Luke about the presentation of Jesus and the purification. So let's go to chapter 2 of St. Luke's Gospel. And here we read, um, after after St. Luke says, uh, after 40 days they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord. That's um, um, Exodus chapter 13, um, verses 2 and uh, 12, okay. Um, and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons according to the dictate of the law of the Lord, okay? So, uh, they get to the temple and <coughs> this old man Simeon is there who was given a private revelation, as St. Luke says, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. And he came, being led by the Holy Spirit, into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, blessed God, and said these words. Okay. Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. Now, <coughs> that those words, that prayer of Simeon, is actually said every night throughout the whole church. Do you know when it's said? The Liturgy of the Hours. The Liturgy of the Hours, it's night prayer. In, in the Latin, it's called the, the Nunc Dimittis, okay? Nunc meaning now, Dimittis, you may dismiss, Lord, okay, your servant, okay? Was it ever and saying the light to enlighten the pagans? Well, well, w w this, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. okay. So I'm just pointing out that uh, the church prays this prayer of Simeon every night, mm-hmm. the whole church. I mean, every all the priests say this, the, the religious say this prayer. Um, it's uh, the night prayer, um, the final, the final part of the divine office. Okay. So, um, in other words, you can let your servant go in peace, Lord. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. And <coughs> then, as you pointed out, Angela, uh, significantly, when Christ, the light of the world, is brought into the temple, Simeon says these words that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Well, this is a revelation confirming the Old Testament revelations that the Messiah would be a savior for everyone, not just the people of Israel and the Jews. Okay, And where do we see this? This goes back to Okay, just to, to, if any Jewish listeners are out there, okay, uh, we can go to the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, okay, of the book of Genesis, um, we see, oh, pardon me, uh, not chapter 12, it's chapter 22 of Genesis. Um, when Abraham... <coughs> is asked to sacrifice Isaac, who is a type of Christ. He's the firstborn son. God doesn't demand the sacrifice of Isaac, and even though Abraham's willing to do so. So for his faithfulness in being willing to sacrifice his son, whom, St. Paul tells us in his epistle to the Hebrews, uh, Abraham believed God would raise from the dead, because God had made the promise that his descendants would number like the stars of the sky, the sand on the seashore, okay? So, um, uh, God makes this promise to Abraham for his fidelity after he sends the angel to stop Abraham from thrusting the knife into Isaac. He says, I will bless you, make your descendants abundant as the stars of the sky, in your descendants all the nations of the earth will find blessing because you obeyed my command. All the nations, not just the Israelites, okay? So we see, dating back to Abraham, this promise that the, the Messiah, one of the descendants of Abraham, would bless all the nations. Time for a break. We'll return shortly. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. 
Hi, this is Matthew Nelson with the Catholic Men's Group at St. Lucie Parish in Racine, Wisconsin. If you're a man looking to enrich your faith, we invite you to join our Band of Brothers Scripture Study every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. We review the Sunday Mass readings and discuss how that applies to us Catholic men in today's society. That's Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. at St. Lucie Parish in Racine. for the third part of our Marian Hour today, and I'm, I've been discussing, for those who have been with us, the upcoming feast next Tuesday, the presentation of our Lord, it's also called the Purification of Mary, and Candle Mass Day, because we light candles in recognition that Christ, 40 days after his birth, was presented in the temple. He was the light of revelation to the Gentiles, as the prophet Simeon said when Mary presented him. And the fact that Christ would be a light and savior to the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, was prophesied as far back as Abraham, that uh, Abraham, because you have been faithful in your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we see in the prophets like Isaiah, the other prophets, that um, the Messiah would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon is confirming this with his words at the presentation of the baby Jesus. And uh, after he says this, confirming that the Messiah has come not only for the glory of the people of Israel, but as a light of revelation to the Gentiles, as their Messiah too, okay? He goes on to say, this is St. Luke describing this, chapter 2, verse 33 of St. Luke's Gospel, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, <coughs> Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and will be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword shall pierce. Okay. Or a better translation, more, more accurate to the Greek, uh, a sword shall pierce your soul. The Greek word is suke, um, uh, soul. Okay. And uh, <coughs> uh, here we see a double prophecy, okay, that this child is going to be a sign of contradiction for the people of Israel, the rise and the fall of them. Some will rise, those who believe in him, some will fall, refusing to believe in him, okay. He will be a sign that will be contradicted. We know this because, you know, the, 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 the Jewish leaders condemned Jesus to death. I mean, they asked for his condemnation before Pontius Pilate. So, um, he was this sign that was, was contradicted. And really to Mary, he says this second prophecy, you your, your own soul a sword shall pierce. And here we see 
a prophecy of Mary's co-suffering, her cooperation, her association with Christ in the redemption, which we call her co-redemption. They all mean the same thing. When I've said this before, I'll say it again. When we use the term co-redemption, as John Paul II used, I think it was at least seven times. Previous popes had used it in this century. We don't mean that Mary redeemed the human race equally with Jesus. Co means with. But Mary cooperated with Jesus in a unique way, uh, in, in a singular way, in the very act of redemption, in the objective redemption, as we call it, during the time that Christ was redeeming us. She's at the foot of the cross. And this was the fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy. And um, <coughs> we, we see uh, that uh, Mary's co-redemption uh, being prophesied here is is uh, you could say well I'll say this a confirmation to Mary of what she would undergo uh, I firmly believe that Mary uh, knew that her son was going to redeem us okay Mary would have read and being filled with the Holy Spirit would have understood with a, with a clarity unsurpassed all the prophecies of her son Jesus in the, in the Old Testament and would have understood that, that you know, Isaac was a type of Christ, her son, that the Passover lamb was a type of her son, uh, that you know, the, the words of the prophet Isaiah that he, the Messiah would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, this applied to her son, that her son would be the suffering servant, the meek lamb that goes to the slaughter as the prophet Isaiah prophesied, Mary would have understood this. And, you know, just in a more human relational standpoint, uh, we know that Mary lived with Jesus for the first 30 years of his life before he began his public teaching. I think it is incomprehensible to think that Jesus never would have <laughs> related to Mary and Joseph while he was alive his future mission. Okay? I mean, that, that would just be incomprehensible. Jesus probably didn't go to, into every detail, but um, he related. He would have related to to Mary, you know, what he was going to undergo. Now, obviously, this is a after after this event takes place. Um, but I think, you know, when Jesus is just a child and sh there he's presented in the temple, that Mary would have known that the Messiah was going to suffer and how she was going to be associated with this this event you know was still unclear to her but she would have known that her son the messiah was going to be a suffering servant and 
I think would have understood in some in some way, some vague way at least, that Simeon's prophecy referring to her was going to mean that she was going to have a share in this. And this is what I meant earlier when I said that when St. Luke talks about their purification, we see this this um, union of their association with of, of both Mary and Jesus in, in this work of redemption. And here we can go back to the Proto-Evangelium. Um, do you remember what that is, the Proto-Evangelium? The first announcement of the good news of the gospel? Genesis 3.15. After that original sin, God speaks to um, Satan with these words, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and she will crush your head. Right at the beginning of creation, after the fall, we see the woman, who is Mary, united with her son, the seed, in the work of redemption, crushing the head of the serpent. And um, uh, this is this is confirmed uh, by the words of Simeon in 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 the gospel that I just read that Mary is going to be uh, associated with her son in his suffering and death on the cross in the objective redemption in the very act of redeeming the world. Okay. And Mary has this singular role, as, as no one else does. And not only that, is Mary the associate, the cooperatrix, the co-redemptrix, but also she is our advocate now with God the Father and Jesus Christ, and the mediatrix of all the grace of Christ. So Mary is associated cooperating with the objective redemption on Calvary and with what we call in theology the subjective redemption, which means the application of the fruits of the redemption that Christ redeemed on Calvary. And Mary does this now in heaven. She intercedes for us. She foresees our needs. And as the church teaches, all the grace of Christ comes to us through Mary. Tomorrow we celebrate the feast of another saint. Guess who it is? Thomas. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas yes, the common doctor the of the church. Demox. And as St. Thomas Aquinas says in his commentary on the Hail Mary, okay, um, he says that on Calvary, the grace of Christ, which Christ merited, was poured into the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, And Mary is the dispensatrix of the grace of Christ. So she's cooperating in the objective redemption, the act of Christ redeeming on Calvary, and in the subjective redemption, which we call the the application of those graces uh, as the mediatrix of all the grace of Christ. And 
I'm going to quote now um, just some some words from tradition to make it evident um, of how this is in our tradition in regard to Mary, her, her cooperation in suffering with Jesus. And um, a basis for uh, her title as the cooperatrix or the co-redemptrix of the human race. We can go back back to fifth to the sixth century. Um, there was a a genre of prayers, poetic verses, prose verses that began about this time in the Middle Ages, called Planctus Mariae, which means um, the weeping of Mary. And this one is attributed to a, a, a Sido Ephraim, not Saint Ephraim, we know it wasn't him because it was written a little later, but um, this person went under the name of Ephraim. And this is, this is what we see in regard to Mary. Um, the reader is asked to share in Mary's sorrow, to compassionate her as she's at the foot of the cross. And he places these words on Mary's lips, addressed to all of us. Mourn with me, all disciples of the Lord, considering my sorrow and the deep wound of my heart. Very beautiful. Mary asking us to, to mourn with her, to share in her sorrows, okay? Uh, we move forward a few centuries to the 900s, 10th century. Here's another example of a, another planctus, um, Maria, this Mary weeping, okay? This is by um, a writer, his name was Simeon Metaphrastes, and he describes in this prose piece how Christ's lifeless body was embraced by Mary, and how then she recalled the words of Simeon, the prophesied the sword would pierce her soul or her heart. I'll just say this, beginning in the third century, the late 200s, there was a writer called Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N, who spoke of the sword piercing Mary's heart. And that caught on, and everyone began to refer to this in regard to the prophecy of Simeon. Okay, so that's what um, the Simeon Metaphrastes, about you know seven centuries later, um, he says this. He 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 speaks of um, um, or, or, uh, speaking of Our Lady. Okay, and and this prophecy of Simeon, Our Lady. Um, relates the sufferings which Jesus had experienced on the cross and how now they, they reverberate deep within her maternal heart. And she says this, O oh, to me the divine head pierced with thorns 
and these driving into my heart. Okay. So Mary is, is saying those thorns which are on Jesus' head, these are in her heart. And then Simeon describes Mary's participation in the passion of Jesus, portraying Our Lady speaking to her son in these words. Your hands and feet have been punctured, Jesus, but the nails themselves inflicted most terrible punctures, which I deeply feel in the midst of my soul. Your side was pierced, but my heart was being stabbed at the same time. I was one with you in sorrows affixed to the cross, and was one with you dying in torments, one with you being buried. So we see this this contemporaneous suffering with uh, Mary. And then I'll just mention, I see we, we're running out of time here. The most famous Plantus Mariae is what we sing during the Stations of the Cross. The Stabat Mater. The Stabat Mater, and that was written by, attributed to a Franciscan named Jacoponi da Todi. And I'll, I'll read, I'll, I'll end with these words, because I think we're coming to the end, aren't we? Okay, I see a minute left. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's one of the verses, these should sound familiar, which really captures the idea of Mary as the co-redemptrix, suffering in her heart, her pierced heart, um, the sorrows piercing her heart. O mother fount of love, let me feel the force of your sorrow, that I may lament with you. Holy Mother, do the following. Fix the wounds of the crucified one firmly in my heart. So, we see there um, a, re a request to invite Mary uh, to share the sufferings that she experienced on Calvary and to place them in our hearts that we may be uh, participants, co-sharers in the sufferings of her and Christ. And I'll end with a blessing through the intercession of the sorrowful and the immaculate heart of Mary. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.